We had people to die. So many we had to say goodbye to employees die. Students died. So it, it was, I don't think people realize that the pandemic, Nadia will agree, we didn't have a guide. We couldn't Google our way out of it. So many, it was trial and error trying to do at the end of the day, what was best for our district. And I'm grateful that I serve on a board with a superintendent who was on CNN. I mean, he didn't let anybody break him down or change his mind. He said, we're going to wear a mask. We stood behind him as a board. And that's what we did. And parents didn't have a choice. Politics have, have really come into the schools. And I, I, I don't know why, because I know for us as a school board members, we're supposed to be a nonpartisan board. And when we were elected, we don't state what political party that we're in. But in recent times, it's just gotten very, very political, which is kind of unfortunate because the way I look at it is children are 25 percent of our population, but 100 percent of the future. So I'm really excited that that people are interested in getting involved but it has to be positive. We have to make sure that we are elected officials and we are doing the, the best that we can. Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. And listeners, we're back at it with another great conversation. And this time we're bringing another, uh, actually two great guests. We like the concept that we did last week and we wanted to do it again. This week's conversation, though, is on school boards and the struggle that school boards are experiencing as they're trying to build a better learning environment for our students. Today, we're joined by Nadia Combs, who is the chair of the Hillsbury County School Board, which Hillsbury County is where Tampa is. And she's been on the board for two years. Like I said, she's the chair of the board. And we also have Bishop Althea E. Green, who's the vice chair of Shelby County Schools, which is where Memphis is. And Dr. Green is also the co-chair of the Academic Performance Committee. And she's been on the board for three years. So, Nadia, we thank you for being with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here today. And Dr. Al Green, we appreciate you being with us as well. Thank you. I hope to wish you much love and happiness on this journey. <laughs> I know I had to throw that in there, listeners. Uh, uh, Dr. Green, she's known as uh, Reverend Al Green around Memphis because she's a pastor and bishop. So we had to get that in there. But what we're going to do, we're going to go to our first segment, listeners. And our first segment is about the rise in attention that school boards have been receiving. And I saw an article where a journalist put it really well. He said that once sleepy, school board meetings have grown combative and uh, have really become a problem because of pandemic safety measures and social justice issues. What once seemed like a nonpartisan part of our local government, it seems like school boards have almost had more of a political agenda behind them. And that's kind of started to derail some things. And as we look at these things, it's kind of making it more complicated, I feel like, for you all to do your job. So we'll start with you, uh, Dr. Green. How has the nature of school board races really changed in Shelby County? Well, in, in Shelby County, you know, I never wanted to be on the school board, which was funny. Uh, all my 38 years of teaching, just know there was never an interest but I think it was once I retired as an educator and I realized the understanding of the school board, the function of the school board and how they were responsible for our policies and practices, then it piqued my interest. And so when this seat became available, I was ready uh, to jump in this seat and get to work. 
And so I think that that that's, you know, for many now, they see the school board as an opportunity for leadership. And I think they really don't understand, Nadia, the work of a school board commissioner. And I think before people want to jump on the board and pull uh, an application to be on the board, they need to understand the responsibility that comes with being a school board member. You can't just walk around Memphis, Tennessee with your Shelby County School Board ID on because people are going to stop you everywhere you go with a question about a school. And I need to get my child. And so I stopped walking around with my ID on because you're just setting yourself up to have to deal with every question and every problem. And so the board has... I think the definition of of expectation from the board, the pandemic and people with the issues you talked about and the safety and and those are still ongoing issues with the cleanliness of the building. I mean, I think it just kind of turned up the heat a little bit for us on the board and the public started having higher expectations from us. And so, you know, when they can't get a problem solved at the school, they show up at the school board meeting with signs one night with with baseball bats, you know. And so you're right. Those meetings now, you almost want to sell popcorn because they've got pretty interesting. That's what we have kind of gathered. And and Nadia, we know that you're in Tampa, so a little different than Memphis, Tennessee, but we know that. Because Devin and I, we've been reporting on Florida a lot. So we know that things are probably been hostile down there as well. So you tell us about the, the situation in Hillsborough. Well, I think Florida overall is in the center very often right now because of just the politics. I think that politics have, have really come into the schools. And I, I, I don't know why, because I know for us as a school board members, we're supposed to be a nonpartisan board. And when we were elected, we don't state what political party that we're in. But in recent times, it's just gotten very, very political, which is kind of unfortunate because the way I look at it is children are 25% of our population, but 100% of the future. So I'm really excited that that people are interested in getting involved, but it has to be positive. We have to make sure that we are elected officials and we are doing the, the best that we can. For me as a former educator and a business owner, you know, my desire to be on the board is because I really believe in children. I believe in public education and I want to make sure that we put children in the center of everything. And for some reason, it's become very divisive. We have public comment that seems very political. Sometimes we have organized groups that are coming and I'm glad that parents are are involved and they're interested, but we just have to make sure that we keep the politics out of school and we really focus on children and what's best for children and making sure that they get a, a great education And also the needs of children are higher now than ever before, social, emotional needs. And I think through the pandemic, we have found that schools are really the center of community. I know many of my schools, we have food pantries. There's so many things that we're doing these days, not just educating children, but we're really getting involved with the community. Exactly. And I think that's why we wanted to have, you know, this conversation, right, to have Two representatives, you know, two women who are doing some amazing work on your school boards speak without, you know, being shouted down or, you know, like it's it's different when you get here and we wanted to give you the platform to, to give you a part of the story. Oftentimes, this is a very one sided conversation. And so we talked about it. You know, Adrian mentioned earlier, the pandemic really like, you know, like doc, Dr. Green said, has turned up the heat in a big way. Like you're in a spotlight with every little decision you're making is being critiqued. 
uh, by the public, by parents, and even people who are, aren't even part of the community are now paying attention to what your school boards are doing. And a, and a lot of this comes down to, you know, lockdowns and mask mandates that, are, that were being implemented because of the pandemic. And the problem was where you had school boards who were trying to balance safety and, and health concerns of the students versus parents and those in the community who wanted to resist, you know, lockdowns and did not believe masks were necessary and didn't want, um, you know, vaccine mandates. So <clears throat> both of you have come onto your school boards during the pandemic or, you know, Dr. Green, you might have come right before in 2019 right. and Nadia, you came basically right in the middle, right in, in, the middle. in 2020. And so uh, Nadia, you can kind of start this one off, but just kind of take us into what it's like being on the board, having to make these decisions and having to balance the concerns of public health directors who are telling you this is, you know, the problem that COVID-19 poses to students and teachers and and other uh, folks who work in the school versus you also having to hear out parents and other people in the community who are like, no, I want my child in school without a mask, you know, having in-person learning just kind of take us into the, what was that like being in Hillsborough County at the time, having to make those decisions? You're still doing it really. Yeah, well, I mean, our our situation is so unique because we had um, the state government kind of overrule some of our, our choices. So for us, like for in Hillsborough County, we were one of the rule breakers because what occurred with us is um, not only safety for children, but we were trying to keep our schools open. We had thousands and thousands of teachers out at one time. At one school alone, one elementary elementary school, we had 18 teachers out at one time. So when we did put the mask mandate, we had it short term. Um, and it was for just to make sure we could stop the spread, keep children safe. But the state government said, you know, you parents choice, no matter what. And what people don't realize, it wasn't necessarily we were looking at parents choice. We, 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 we were concerned about that. But we also knew parents would be upset if their children had to wear a mask. It would be a whole nother level if our schools were going to be closed. So we kept our schools open and had a mask mandate for a short term 90 days. And now we're looking at being some financial consequences from that. Even though ours was only short short term, it looks like we are some of our teachers could lose funding because of that. So that's very challenging when you're trying to do what's best for community, you're trying to keep the schools open, you're trying to keep children safe. So it's it's a very it was a very divisive time um and being on the board and I was actually the one who put the mask mandate um, initially, and I'm the one who, who who kept my word and took the mask mandate off, but it still became very political and it became a very challenging time to be a leader. But I really always look at what's going to be the best thing for our community, what's going to be the best thing for children. And I, we wanted to keep our schools open because we realized the social and emotional impact that had on children. And I think, you know, as we're going past this pandemic, I think the mental health issues are going to be so great for children because they've been out of school for so long. And also just the economy is is being impacted. There's more poverty. We have so many kids who are like living in motel rooms or in trucks. So we are really trying to do whatever we can to to strengthen our community and to bring everyone together. But unfortunately, we're in a climate where things are very political. And and Dr. Green, to kind of pick up on, on Nadia's point there, I mean, you're 
as, as, you know, being part of the board, the decision, of course, is surrounding what's best for the students, right? But you also have to factor in teachers and, and custodial workers and, and everybody right. who works in that school. So it's not as simple to say we can just listen to what the parents want. You also have to factor in a host of other people who go into a functioning school. So just take us, what was it like being in Shelby County making it, those it, decisions? It, it was hell because our <laughs> governor was saying, they don't have to wear a mask. Our superintendent and board said, yes, they will wear a mask. So we were like going toe to toe and it became very <laughs> political. But we insisted that they wear a mask because our numbers were so high. I mean, you know, when the pandemic first hit, we end up giving out over 100 some thousand laptops and iPads. We went to virtual learning. I mean, we made it happen. But, you know, during the pandemic, I mean, school board members, my role shifted. I was passing out packets at the public library. I was helping to serve food, you know, making a way in the rain. We were doing food drives, each each school board district. And so I don't think people understood, you know, we were there. We never slacked, but we stayed in the face of the community. And when, you know, our health director said, the students must wear masks. I mean, our numbers were high. Teachers were out. And so we had to make a decision to do what was best for Memphis and Shelby County. Regardless of what the governor said, it got to the point that he said, if we didn't get schools open, they were going to shut off our funding. So he kind of backed us into a corner. And we yeah. opened schools back up. And when we opened school back up, we had some children, over 13,000, who never showed up. I mean, they did not come back. Even this school year, we're still finding children. Uh, you know, parents excuse, oh, COVID. Okay, those numbers are down so low now. We really don't have an excuse. But I agree, it, it, it was so political. But at the end of the day, it was all about what's best for our students and staff. When you've got workers who were being impacted, we had people to die. So many we had to say goodbye to employees die, students die. So it, it was it was traumatic for me as a faith-based leader, stepping in, trying to call and minister to families. You know, at funerals, I show up to be there to support as, as a clergy. But I don't think people realize that the pandemic, Nadia will agree, we didn't have a guide. We couldn't Google our way out of it. Mm-hmm. It was so many, it was trial and error trying to do at the end of the day, what was best for our district. And I'm grateful that I serve on a board with a superintendent who was on CNN. I mean, he didn't let anybody break him down or change his mind. He said, we're going to wear a mask. We stood behind him as a board and that's what we did. And parents didn't have a choice. But now as the numbers are down, we gave parents a choice, but you still see 50% of the people walking around with the mask on here in Memphis. And, and, you know, it's, it's really interesting what y'all are talking about because it was, it, we, Devin and I, we reported on it so much. It's just common sense. We're, we're trying to protect lives, save lives. But I, I was reading an article and, and uh, Rudders had did a study rather, I, I think it more or less you could say a study where they called a bunch of school districts and they documented about 220 instances of death threats and harassment against school board members over decisions related to what y'all are talking about, like COVID-19 safety, um, even you know transgender rights and lessons about racism. We've been talking a lot about that. 
even the Justice Department is trying to crack down on this and have a team that is really working to help school board members. I even saw another article where there was a lady in Virginia who threatened to bring, quote, every gun loaded and ready if her children are required to wear a mask at school. So it's it's crazy. It's 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 you know appalling. So let's uh, start with uh, you, Dr. Green. Um, how does how does all of this stuff, especially what you describe, how does that affect you and your colleagues mental health as well as your service on the board? You know, I think we got stronger during the pandemic. We became a team and really learned the definition of team together. We can achieve more when we're working together. And so I was so uh, honored to serve with colleagues who we didn't let the public opinion ever break us down or or we felt bad about it. We were elected officials with a calling to serve and we never strayed away from that. And, and so now when I look back, you know, you get on Facebook and they were just wearing us out or you get on the teachers exchange and they were just eating us up, you know, about the decisions we had to make. But if I had it to do all over again, Adrian, nothing would have changed about how the Memphis Shelby County schools operated during the pandemic. We've learned many valuable lessons that we will take. And if another phase, if we have to, you know, go back to virtual, at least all of our students now have technologies, we have platforms, and we don't have to miss a beat. I think for a district our size of 115,000 children, I think if nothing else, the pandemic exposed some problems that were there before the pandemic. And especially when it comes to the academic performance of students. So we asked to uh, a whole homeless doing the testing and we our kids had to come to school and test anyway, even though they only came for TCAP. But then when those results came out and they were like, oh, only 20 percent of the kids are reading a grade level. What do you think was going to happen when they were at home? You know, virtual learning was a challenge for students who needed that one-on-one, who needed a teacher to say, hey, Johnny, I need you to pay attention. So many lessons were learned, but at the end of the day, the decisions that we made were always for the best interest of faculty and students and all of the employees of our district. That was our guiding factor, and we survived it. We survived. And that's good to hear that. I know it was rough. And uh, Nadia, you can kind of talk um, how how did this kind of play out for you and your colleagues uh, down in Florida? You know, I think our board has become stronger and we communicate more. And I think it's brought people together. I mean, I, I honestly think I think it's made people realize like, great. Parents are coming in. They're getting involved. That's wonderful. And we're happy. I mean, this is America. We're happy to hear all opinions. And I know for me, I always respond to anybody, any email, any any contact that I get from either side. So I think for me personally, it's made me a stronger person. I don't take things personally because I know that every decision that I make, I always put children first. I think about the students and I think about our administration, our faculty and our staff. I mean, our teachers, our bus drivers, our nutrition. We we stayed open. We really were only closed for a short time. So the amount of sacrifice that our educators had to make was unbelievable. But we still remain in Florida to still not, we're still not paying our teachers enough. We're still at the very bottom of paying teacher salaries, paying our uh, bus drivers, our nutrition workers. So I think 
you know, people realize that really education is at the center of everything. And we really need to start prioritizing that. Because if you look at other countries around the world, I lived in Asia for a few years, where really education is at the center. So for me, I, I, I never understand why do we spend more money incarcerating someone than educating someone? So I'm so glad that schools and school boards are finally at the center of conversation because we want to talk about it. We want to talk about prioritizing education. And now more than ever, I mean, the loss that we've had in learning across this nation and the amount of impact, the social and emotional impact of kids coming back, let's continue talking about education and let's put it at the forefront front of everything because that is our most important asset right so i think it, yeah no i think i think you're exactly right and it's it's great f- to hear both of your perspectives on how you experienced the pandemic and the decisions you had to make and the pivots that you had to make going from in person to virtual and, and back and forth and just i don't think there's anyone probably who would switch places with you and have to make those decisions I number one, I would not want to be in that position like that is I could not imagine having to deal with the vitriol that you were getting people calling, you know, school boards tyrants and you're taking my rights away like it. The conversation moved in a direction I don't think was very productive. And I think we when we're having these conversations about school boards and some of the decisions that were made during covid like you said, Dr. Green, you, there was no roadmap here. There was no, we can go back and look at history and this is how they dealt with it. We can pull from that. Everybody was really operating in real time, trying to figure out what is the best way to handle this situation. And that goes with just the disease COVID. We know a, a ton more about COVID now than we did in 2020. And we know a lot more about, about virtual learning and its pros and cons now than we did when we made the switch. And so- We have to keep that in mind when people go around saying the school boards are just making decisions because they were just power hungry and they wanted to, you know, take my kids rights away. I think that's the thing that gets me. It's like these are real people on this board. Like they're they're real people who work in the community. They live in the community. They probably have children of their own or no. You know, like they are productive citizens, too. Like they are not here to ruin your kids lives and take their rights away. That's like. When you start the conversation, we have to come from a place of of understanding, like we are all working towards the same goal. We just have different ways of getting there and dealing with this issue. But that doesn't make you, the people on the school board, less human or, you know, somebody to be feared or something like that. I think that's... Because yeah, I, I mean, both I have I have two children and my son was a senior last year. So I had two high school students. So I could understand and I could under- see what they were experiencing the year before that. My daughter missed 38 days and she was in quarantine all those you know different times, but never tested positive. So I, I was looking at things from two different perspectives, not just as a school board member, but also as a mother of, of two children and how that impacted them. So I really understood that in a whole different perspective. And I was always open to listen to parents and, and let them realize it's not politics here. It's it's what's going to keep our schools open, you know, make sure kids are safe, make sure that that you can imagine if you have 17 teachers out in a school, what that can do for safety of children, because there's nobody monitoring them. So there were so many other things that people could only, they're only looking at you from one perspective. They're not seeing that you're looking at five or 10 other things. And it was hard. I mean, you know, I think all the board members, I probably aged 10 years in in a few months, uh, (laughs) you know, and I just, you know, I just was every day thinking, you know, 
what about my children as well? All of your children, because everybody who's on the board, we care about education and we're trying to make sure, you know, to put our best foot forward every single day and do what's best for our community. And I agree. I, I, my, my daughters are grown, but I have two grandsons and, and one uh, is homeschooled and one is in public schools. And so I understood the grandmother duties because I ended up having to keep that, that fourth grader and go through virtual learning and having to redirect him and pay attention. You know, I was like, <laughs> wow, I understand what parents are going through. And so you're, you're right. Uh, it was a challenge, but 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 we survived. And I think sometimes people forget that school board members, we're human beings. And when they, you know, post things on social media and they tweet things, I don't think they realize we have feelings. And 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 and, and our feelings get hurt. You know, and, and even though I'm a Christian, I have to turn the other cheek all those times. I mean, I do it, and but at the end of the day. Each and every day when I go home and when I have to live with the decisions that I make on the school board, I want to be happy about the decision. So I don't let what the people are saying over here or the group over here. Never does it bother me. It, it doesn't influence my decision. I'm like you, Nadia. I want to do what's right about children. They are our future. And we've got to either invest in them now or we've got to do just what you said, build prisons for them. So if we want to really break that prison to pipeline. It's decisions that we make as school board leaders, always doing what's best for students. Awesome. Awesome. You know, this has been a great way to frame this conversation to start us off. Uh, I feel like our listeners uh, should have enough fuel in the tank to get to the end of the episode. So, but what we're going to do, let's give them a a quick little break here. When we come back, we're going to switch gears and get into our second segment. So listeners stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give a few dollars while you're at it. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Now let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into it. Our second segment here. Remember, we've got two great guests today. Nadia Combs, chair of the Hillsborough County School Board, and Dr. Althea Green, vice chair of the Shelby County School Board. And like I was saying, listeners, we're getting into our second segment where we're talking about how school boards influence the day-to-day operations of school districts. And, you know, one of the things that I, you know, rather that we've been looking at uh, a lot, uh, Nadia, is issues like critical race theory and how they've almost put school boards under microscopes. I feel like parents and community members are expecting school boards to always rule in favor of, you know, them on issues like vaccine, bathrooms, you know, who can play on what sports teams, even what books can be used in the classrooms. Um, Many of these issues have nothing to really do with bettering the educational opportunities for our students, but they all impact the value students feel that they're getting from their education. And like you said, politics doesn't have a place in education. So how are are you seeing this influence of politics, Nadia, in matters of curriculum, sexual orientation, sports? How is that kind of impacting the overall educational experience for our students? Well, you know, I... You know, I think it's just a lot of miscommunication going on in the country. I mean, especially if you look at Florida, you know, teachers are really, really, there's such a critical shortage of teachers 
across the nation and especially in Florida as well. And I think that people, education has become so political that you have a career where people are not getting paid very well in. And now that politics is getting involved, how are we going to recruit teachers? I always say, you know, in Florida, you know, we're 45th lowest paid for salaries. There is not a single person who goes into education for politics. People go into education because they love children. They want to make a difference. They want to educate them. You know, the idea of, I, I taught history. I, I taught history for 10 years. I didn't go into becoming a, a teacher to talk about politics. I came in to teach students about American history. So I think it's just a very challenging time that people are just being very divisive on both ends. And we just really have to realize that leave the politics out of the classroom and let's focus on educating children, reading, writing, math, higher order thinking, critical skills. That's what is is the classroom, what it's meant to be for, not to bring politics and dividing our, our, our county, our district and our state up. I just think there's no room for that. We've always taught history. We continue to teach history. I, I don't think it's an issue. I think people are just making an issue. If you want to ban a book, there's a process to ban each book at each site. You don't need to ban a book across the district um, because some books are necessary in some schools and other schools are not, depending on that individual. And I always say this often, if parents are so concerned about content, then they should take away the children's phones because that is the access where you have access mm-hmm. to everything. You can download anything. So and when you talk about, you know, grooming someone, it's not from a book, it's from a phone. So I think we want parents involved. I'm glad that parents want to know what's happening in children's lives, but don't think that the, the school is where the fight should be. It really should be getting involved in your child's life, becoming a PTA member, getting in and talking to your teachers. If there's an issue with your child, making sure that just like I grew up, we would get in trouble as children and then they went to the school. But nowadays it seems like immediately the attack is on the school, on the administration. So I think we need to kind of go back to the basics and realize there, there's no need for politics and education. Let's focus on educating children. Now, Dr. Green, like I said, I, I lived in Memphis for a few years. I actually got my bachelor's from University of Memphis. So I know how you know the environment of Memphis can kind of be. Um, is 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 Memphis immune to this this political hostility from the school boards? Or are y'all saying the same thing too? Absolutely. We are not exempt from experiencing what she's experiencing in Florida. And and I agree. The politics really don't have a place. I was a social studies teacher. And so, amen. I mean, I taught, you know, Thanksgiving and citizenships and about voting rights and constitutional rights. And and now I'm, I'm listening to people fight about critical race theory, said it wasn't a problem years ago. Now it's as if it's a, it's a new term. You want to define what we can really teach children or is it you don't want us to tell children the truth about our history? And, and I think it was never a problem. And as far as I you know, can see, it's not going to be a problem. It's the political people that want to make everything about this or about that. But if they will just let teachers do their job, do what you paid them to do. A recent study showed that 1,400 students were enrolled in college, but but 34 people majored in education. Nadia is right on it. 
There is a shortage of educators around the United States. And if they don't stop attacking education, we won't have anybody wanting to be teachers. Then what are we going to do when we don't have enough teachers? We've got to pay people what they're worth. You don't want teachers working two and three jobs because we're not paying them enough. We're competing with charter schools in Memphis. They're given a $10,000 sign-on bonus. So what do you think our teachers are doing? They're leaving to go work at the charter school. They're just quitting in the middle of the year, principal. So it's, you know, and I've said to HR, pay people what they're worth. We're going to have to pay more. And if money grow on trees, start growing some trees. We've got to do something in order to maintain this profession, but make people feel valued. If we continue the political fight, uh, this and that, we won't keep attracting people because the politics will push the educators away. And so I agree, whether you're in Memphis or Florida, the politics are there. We just have to stay focused. We've got to pay our teachers, make them valued and respected as educators. When I was growing up, Teachers were some of the most important people in the community, Mm -hmm. even in the church. We looked up to teachers. There was something special about them. And now I think they don't feel like people value and care. Parents come over. They want to fight. They want to cuss. They want to challenge your grade. Well, I don't think, you know, parents need parenting classes. The, The parenting skills have been going down because our parents, let's face it, they are younger. So they don't have what we had, what Big Mama and Grandmama and Mutt Deal gave us. They don't Mm -hmm. have it. But then they strayed away from church. So they don't have those Christian principles in place. And so TikTok and video games have taken over children and their minds. And so kids, you know, you think they're asleep. They're on the phone. You know, they bring phones to school. We got to take the phones, deal with the parent. Why'd you take the phone? There's a phone in every classroom. So there are just so many other things that are just spending out of control with politics and that. I think if we can get the community back to be in the community, the faith base back to not just opening up church on Sundays, but them seeing the faith-based leaders in schools. I've asked every pastor, show up in a school. Let your members see you in school, not just on Sundays, but I'll show up for the kids that I pastor. They see me. I visit everybody's school. I try to go at least one time a year. How do you think they feel when your pastor walks into your classroom? Like, wow, I didn't think she was really going to come. So we've got to make our profession It's going to take all of us, all aspects of the community, trying to work together to accomplish the success of students. That's hard to follow up. (laughs) No, I I think you you hit on some some really, really key points and why I've often thought like the attention that school boards are getting. I feel like we're going to miss this opportunity to really make some good, do some good things within the schools because we're focusing on things kind of like what Adrian said, they really don't have much to do with the educational experience that students are getting in the classroom. I I love how we can get in an uproar and we got bats and signs coming to the school boards talking about CRT, but we are mum when we talk about teacher pay and like hiring teachers and finding better teachers. Like it is just, you don't get the same reaction. And you would think that actually finding teachers and paying them appropriately would be a higher priority. But it, it just isn't there. And, and I want to get your take on this, too. I think that some of the problem is 
within the communities, there's just a mistrust of the people who work in the schools, the teachers, the principals, the administrators. There's like a mistrust that they don't have my child's best interests at heart. So everything the school says, I sort of have a, a, you know, a leery eye towards like when they send a bad report card home or they write my, write my child up, I automatically assume they're out to get my son or my daughter. And so that bleeds into not trusting the schools and you, you know, may not, you know, want to send your kids to school or you come up to the school when your child's done something wrong and you act out towards the teacher when the problem really is standing next to you, which is probably your child. So I think there is not to compare the situations, but we talked with a, a former a police chief in New Orleans uh, about his challenges with having to recruit officers. And we know the problems that police officers have. And that's a whole different thing. But it's similar in that they can't recruit people because of the vitriol and the criticism that the public is giving towards police. Nobody wants to do the job. And the same thing is true for teaching. Like who wants to go into and walk into this, which you just talked about, both in in Florida and Memphis and say, who wants to say, I'm going to sign up for that and get paid, you know, less than what you're actually worth. So I don't, I don't know what the solution is, but I do think people need to take the time to understand and get to know the teachers and understand who they are as people so that they can trust that they actually do have the best, you know, the best things for my student and make sure that they'll, you know, they'll succeed. They're there for a reason. So I I would be like, let's trust the teacher to do a good job. Um, That's kind of like hearing you both talk is what I was kind of getting out of it. And just, I did have a question at the end of all that, but just for you, Nadia, what, what is the purpose of a school board? Like we talk about this all the time. People say the word school board and make assumptions about what you're there for. But what would you say is the perfect purpose of a school board? And how are, you know, how do how does that bleed into what you focus on for students? Well, I think, you know, obviously for our school boards that oversee the policies, overseeing our, we have a, a budget of $3.3 billion a year because we are one of the largest districts in the country. And then obviously to oversee the superintendent, the hiring and firing. So for me, it's the, it's just really looking at the policies to make sure that we're financially doing well. And I think right now, one of my biggest roles is to make sure that our community knows how underfunded education is in our community. Of the large five districts, we receive the least per pupil allocation. So we're asking to do so much more these days, not only as a board, but as educators too. We're asking for people to do so much with so much less. So for teachers, they're not only educating students, often they have to find out what their social needs are, their emotional needs, feeding, keeping contact with the community. So as a board member, I just make sure that everything is functioning well, that we make sure that our policies are put in place to educate children. When we receive money like ESSER money that we're putting it back where we're going to see the most return. So for us in Hillsborough County, one of the things that we're really focusing on right now is workforce development, knowing that not every child is going to have to go to college and they can be successful. So we're, we're basically connecting with the community and finding out what what are the next 10 years? What are the jobs that are most needed in the Tampa Bay community? And we're trying to fill that workforce need. And we're also trying to leverage things by really focusing on pre-K and early learning, because if in order to really make a difference in our community, we have to start earlier. Because what's happening, I think the family unit has changed so much in America. 
families are not eating together as much. They're on the road all the time. Kids are in activities. If you don't start a sport really young, you're not able to play that sport. So I think the family unit has changed. And because of that, education has become the center of everything. At the beginning of the pandemic, I think teachers were heroes. People were talking about like, what a difficult job this is. And suddenly, halfway through, it became very political. Are we going to open? Are we going to close? Mass? And suddenly, everybody turned against education again. So how do we write that ship and make sure? And as a board member, I think having board members who really always make children the center of decision making is what's going to help us. So I think for me, from day to day, every time I look at it an agenda item, if it's financial, if it's um, academic, I look at what is going to provide that child the most opportunity because we know through education, anything is possible. So we that's my focus is how can we use every dollar to make sure it helps kids and makes a difference with children and also that we have those administrators and the right cabinet and the right people in the right positions. And and for you, Dr. You know, Dr. Green, we've we've talked about it. You've you've experienced some of the same problems. So if you were speaking to you you know, those in the community, what would you say is the purpose of the school board and, and kind of what are you focused on improving day to day for, for students in, in Shelby County? I, th- I think Nadia just hit hit nine of my 10 points right on, on the head. <laughs> uh, policies. Uh, we have one employee that is the superintendent and, and, and to make sure that his evaluations, uh, they count, they matter. Uh, for us as a district, moving that academic needle right now for us, literacy is just our focus. We're providing summer learning programs, spring break camps. We're doing everything to get our children in school. We're talking about year-round school because we want to do what's best for children. But when you look at year-round school, it will keep your teachers from being burnt out. And so it'll provide those breaks all along the way. We're exploring, kind of looking at it. And so I think for us, those day-to-day operations, and I think people don't realize, as she said, you know, school board, if the bathroom is dirty, they email us. Oh, you know, the bathroom wasn't clean at school A, B, and C. And, you know, oh, the grass need cut. So, you know, we get it all, the grass the bathroom. Oh, did you know they served the same thing for lunch two days? <laughs> and so trying try to answer every email, trying to return every phone call. So you feel like sometime, you know, what is my job as a school board commissioner? It is from A to Z. It is everything that falls within those. But at the end of the day, making sure that our children receive the best education uh, during the pandemic, you know, those social emotional issues are jumping out. And so you need more guidance counselors. You need more wraparound, more support services for students. I mean, somebody, you know, they'll call me and say, hey, Reverend Green, you know, a child died. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I was just wondering if you all could help with the funeral. I mean, you get all of that. Wow. Right. I've, I've paid for them, like out of my pocket during COVID, because the parents, even though the state will reimburse you, the parents just didn't have it. And so as a faith-based leader and a school board member, I feel naughtier sometimes, like I'm just walking around with my collar on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to be this woman with an S on my chest, because that's exactly what they expect for us to do. Meet every need, 
you know, be there to answer every call. And so basically the, you know, I thought when I got on the board, well, I'm here to make sure these policies happen and we do what's best. But when you get on the board, it's policies, it's the superintendent's evaluation, it's it's the oversight of the district. We are the second largest employer in Memphis. Federal Express is number one and we are number two, the Memphis and Shelby County School District. And so, you know, a lot go on every day. But as school board members, we have to know about everything that's going on so that when somebody calls, you don't want to be off guard. Well, why don't you just spend $5,000 to buy math kits? You have to say, well, the students are scoring low. These are just manipulatives to support the curriculum. I mean, you got to know the answers because trust me, they will ask questions and you need to be a magician or a genie. You got to be able to pull it out. <laughs> yeah, I like that perspective. It's it's so interesting because it's, you know, I feel like I, I worked with American Fidelity. I know we talked about it on the phone, Dr. Green, and I didn't work with, you know, within schools, but I worked alongside educators and I got to kind of see the frustration and people are just just kind of missing the mark on what's going on. Um, before before we end this, segment, I just wanted to kind of get each of your take just real quickly. Um, I feel that there's been a shift in our country where parents feel like they have a right to set the curriculum. Uh, a lot of parents are trying to voice, you know, what should and shouldn't be taught in the classrooms. I'm kind of in the 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 you know the. I guess the corner that we should leave that up to professionals and experts because parents might not be the best advocates for what should be taught. But uh, like I said, real quickly, uh, Nadia, uh, we'll start with you. What what do you think you know is, is going to be the effect of having parental involvement on what's being taught in our schools? I, I mean, when we have when we adopt a textbook, like a new textbook, we have teachers, we have administrators, we also have community members and parents get involved with that when they're when we're going to the top three choices. So we we include parents, but at the end of the day, when you're choosing the textbook, the top three, we're going to have the professionals do that. We're going to have educators choosing what book. So I think at the end of the day. Parents have to realize we want to invite them in. We hope with all this parent interest that our PTA numbers go through the roof, that when we have an activity, everybody comes. We want to get parents involved. Remember, we're not here for politics. We're here for children. So for some reason, the school board has become just a just a high interest area. If you're in politics, people who are now running for school board members, I think they have huge ambitions. So at the end of the day, like people like Dr. Green and myself, when we're our backgrounds in education, I also have a business background. We're trying to do what's best for children. We're not worried about what's happening in Washington, D.C. We're not worried about what's happening in Tallahassee. I'm worried what's happening in my Hillsborough County. I'm worried about my community. This is where I'm going to live. I want to make sure that parents are involved and that teachers are prioritized and education is always at the forefront of everything. Like Dr. Green said, we are doing so much more social and emotional. So parents need to realize that if they continue to attack education, there's not gonna be anyone left to teach their children. We already have such a huge shortage and most of the teachers who are coming in are brand new teachers. I mean, do you want a first year doctor to, to perform surgery on you every year? No, you would like to have a doctor who's been around for a while. So we want to keep our veteran teachers. And the more and more that educators are attacked, 
the more and more that you're seeing people leave education. So parents, get involved with your PTA, come to the board, but just don't attack us personally and know that we're here because we're all on the same road trying to prioritize education. And Dr. Green, uh, you can go ahead and give your thoughts. Uh, I know parental involvement is really, really key and important. I feel like it's a missing piece in a lot of school districts. But, you know, what's your take on, you know, parental involvement and setting the curriculum and what books should and shouldn't be used in the classroom? I, I think parental involvement is always key. Uh, as as a teacher, and even when I retired from teaching, I continued to be a member of the PTO, the parent-teacher organizations. And I would go to the meetings, Adrian, just to get a, a take on it. I mean, you've got 1,500 kids in a school, but you don't have 55 people show up for a PTO meeting. And I always wondered why. How come parents didn't think they needed to attend those meetings? They said, oh, you all put them in the mornings. So, okay, we'll put some in the evenings. And guess what? They didn't show up. Same thing when you had parent conference night and they, as a teacher, I would have to be there from six to eight for two parents. And the two parents who came, those students were often my honor students. And so parents complain, but when you invite them and give them an opportunity to come in, they often won't show up. But when report cards go home, they're waiting the next morning because they want to challenge you on a grade. But but I've sent parent communications. You've got a progress report. And so I agree, we need more parental involvement. But when it comes to the curriculum, that's the academics committee job. That are people, the people who work in curriculum, who are specialists in that, they are the experts to help with uh, adoptions of books, even though we bring parents in too and let them serve on committees, but you got to let the experts do what the experts do. And then once we adopt the textbook and we invite parents in for an orientation, walk them through the books and the PowerPoints home, send all that information home. Come on, parents. Now we need you to be partners with us. And I think that's the missing piece. Parents, we need you to be partners together. We are stronger than you pulling against us. And I so as we continue to educate parents. And, and Nadia, we've almost have to teach them their role as we're teaching students. We got to help mothers and fathers along on this journey with us because we are so much stronger when we're all working together for students. And I think, you know, that's what we've got to stay focused on. How do we keep parents engaged? But how do we teach parents how to parent and be partners and support the work that the district does? Yeah. And one last thing I was going to say, and I'm sure you're in your districts, it's the same thing. We're looking for mentors. We want people to come in to mentor our children. Cause unfortunately, sometimes children don't have a lot. Sometimes they don't have a mentor. They maybe they, nobody's checking in on them. Well, people don't realize what a huge role teachers are playing. Nobody's there to brainwash your child, to talk about their sexuality. That is not the agenda. The agenda of educators is making sure a child is feeling good about themselves, that they're making academic gains, that we make sure that they're safe and healthy. So we, we're not trying to be anybody's parents. We want to bring people in, but we have to realize that let's keep the politics out and let's just focus on what's going on. And that's educating children. You're both exactly right. I mean, we're, we're not saying we don't want parents to be involved and 
we are not echoing what Terry McAuliffe said in Virginia, where we don't want parents involved at all. That's probably why he lost his election. But I think we want the involvement, but it has to be consistent, right? Like we were talking about, we see the the attention CRT is getting and uh, mask mandates and things like that, but we need that same energy during the school year when we send home report cards and we have the PTO meetings and, and parent teacher night, like we need that same energy throughout the entire school year not just when we decide to implement a mask mandate or, or, you know, change different things. Like, I think that's the biggest thing is we have, and maybe that's just a broader societal issue where we hop from issue to issue, you know, it goes viral for a hot second. We're all really attention and we're focused on it. And then we lose interest over time. And I think that's just a broader symptom that we have to really fight against. So we'll go ahead and, and wrap up this segment. And we have just one more segment and really one more question for each of you to kind of send us off on a final message. And so we're going to take a quick break, listeners, and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So we've made it to our last segment with our, our great guest. This has been a great conversation. And again, we're speaking with Miss Nadia Combs, who is the chair of the Hillsborough County School Board, and Dr. Althea Green, who is the vice chair of the Shelby County Schools in Memphis. And so uh, for our first question here, we've talked a lot about the attention, right? School boards are getting more attention than ever from both the media and the local community. And while a lot of this attention is welcomed, um, a lot of it comes from parents angry about a host of really what are culture issues um, that they want to protect their children from. This is not really a conversation about bettering the experience that students are getting in the schools. But like a lot of our conversations around politics in this country, in many cases, these discussions about mask mandates or you know vaccine mandates we're really just kind of yelling at, at each other. Really, it's parents yelling at the school board saying, we don't want this for our children, and we're not listening. And this is just a broader societal problem. And, and we do get the sense that a lot of parents, while we, in, we love the fact that they're there at the school board meetings and they're participating, just because you're there and participating doesn't mean the board is going to, going to do everything that you want them to do. You don't get to dictate just for your child. The board has to consider all the children in the district. And so, uh, Nadia, I'll give you this question here. You know, the, the attention school boards are getting now is we, we don't think it's going to go away. You know, the, it's gotten very political. School board races have become a new battleground. And so we have to figure out a way to capture this newfound attention and direct it in a way where we can have productive discussions about the, the experience the students are getting in the classroom. So how do we do this with parents who may feel as though they may not trust the board. They may not think the board has their child's interest, their best interest at heart. How do we refocus this conversation and not just focus on cultural war issues, but focus on the experience of the child in the classroom? 
Well, I know personally, I try to make myself very accessible to individuals. When I had a large group of uh, moms who were really upset about the mask mandate, I actually met with them. I go out there, I go out in the community, and I really engage with people because it's very important. I, I'm listening to everyone and all sides, and then I'm always open to, to thoughts and ideas and, and parents and their, and their input, as well as being a lifelong educator and having friends who are in the classroom as well as administrators. So I really try to engage everyone and try to get involved to make the best decision possible. So I think it's great that people are involved. I just hope as they're coming in, they're just not coming in thinking about what they want to say. And they're looking around and they're seeing other things that we're being are challenging in our districts, in our families, in our children nowadays, and hopefully they get that sense of knowledge and they continue to part, participate. I mean, it's great that individuals are getting involved in civics, right? I mean, I think there's people who said, I, I never even watched a school board meeting and now I watch them constantly. So I think it's really making sure that we continue to model, to treat each other with respect, and be open and listen. And so that's what I try to do as a board member. I try to make sure I listen to all sides. And when I do make a decision, it's not a decision I make for myself. I make every decision, as I've said numerous times, in what's going to be in the best interest of the district and what's going to be more likely and more so what is in the best interest of, of children. So I think let's continue to engage people. I'm glad that education is at the forefront. I mean, that is the most important job. When you look at an attorney, attorney or police officer, none of those positions would be there if a teacher didn't help someone get along there. So I think America in general needs to start looking how public education should be at the center of conversations, not coming against us, but how can we all work together to make a better community? Because if we don't I always say this, if we don't continue to engage and do better for our children, within the 10 to 20 years, we're, America is going to be a third world country. You can see poverty and homelessness happening throughout our nation. If we don't start engaging families and prioritizing education, we are going to continue to go downhill in every way. We're going to continue to fill our jails. We're going to continue to have jobs where you can't have a workforce. You're going to go into places where you can't get your car fixed because there's no one to fix it. So we need to look at how do we really engage parents and prioritize education and work together instead of working against one another. Absolutely. I like that. That's a great uh, final message there, Nadia. And uh, Bishop Green, to kind of set you up for your final message. Um, I saw in 2018, uh, about 40% of school board candidates that were running in the country's 200 largest districts didn't have opponents. But in 2021, only 24% of candidates ran unopposed. So clearly school board races have become a big thing and more people want to participate. But I feel like people want to participate for the wrong reasons and former Trump advisor Steve Bannon put it in a really good way when he said on his podcast, quote, the path to save the nation is very simple. It's going to start through the school boards. And in my mind, that just sounds like a bunch of stuff that I've heard from mostly white and mostly Republicans who say that we've got to save our nation and take back our culture. And they're thinking the way to do that is with the school board. So Dr. Green has set us up uh, for your final message, how how can we change this narrative and reposition it so that when people run for school boards, it's about success for the students and it's about the right reasons? 
And I think you're right. As, as long as the public continue to hear messages, you know, if you want to change the culture and save this country, go and get on the school board. So the message is wrong. And so people are hearing that. And so when 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 we get ready to run for re-election, which I didn't have anybody to oppose me, and I think it was only because people realized I was doing my job. I was doing what you appointed me to do. And so they elected me to do this. And I think when they see us as school board leaders operating with integrity, when they see us in the community and being visible, when they see you in the school, they realize, wow, that's a lot of work. That's not as easy as just going to a meeting and saying yes to something or opposed to something. And so I think as people are are, are so eager to want to run for our seats, but I think when they realize that Nadia, you can go to a meeting at two and you can get home at 10 and you can go to three or four meetings a week. And I mean, you can have five PTO meetings and black history programs and everybody wants you to come. Don't mention the 13 graduations that you have to make. I think when they really start looking at what we really do versus what you hear that we do or what you hear we don't do. I think when they put all of that together and understand the dynamics of the school board, the role of the school board and and how busy we really are. And the school board is such a thankless job. How many times do people really thank us for what we do? It's a thankless job, but we do it because we care about public education. We care about the districts that we serve and we represent, but we care about children. They are our future. They're already talking with us about how can you prepare students to come and work for Blue Oval. And so as as opportunities are available in the community, plants are being built. We got to make sure we're educating children. We're providing them with a tool. Every child won't go to college, but every child should be focused on a career. It is our job through funding to make sure that we do that. And so as school board members, we have a heavy burden to carry. We have a challenge. We have work to do, but it is work that we can do. It is work that we are dedicated to do. It is work that we are elected to do, but we do it because we love it. It's heart work, H-E-A-R-T, not hard. I didn't say (laughs) H-A-R-D. It is heart work. And Nadia will agree with me. It's all about that heart work, heart work and caring about what we do, caring about children, caring about not just right now, but the future of the children that we are trying to educate in our school district each and every day. And I think as long as those are our guiding principles and our guiding forces, people won't be so eager to want to jump in the school board race. They'll realize they don't get paid that much. They work all the time. It's like a (laughs) full-time job. And I think they'll stop thinking, oh, I can do this. And they'll say, no, that's too much work. How many meetings did you go to this week? (laughs) Oh, no, no, thanks. And so I think you know, as we continue to reimagine education, reimagine the way we want our buildings to look, as we continue to advocate for more funding for deferred maintenance and, and our funding bodies, we've got work to do and we can do it as long as we have partners in this. Together, we can reimagine, as we always say, not on one, but we can reimagine education with all of our students across the world. No, I think that message is is why we wanted to have, you know, this conversation to really put a, a human face and perspective to what the school board 
does day to day. I think a lot of people just don't know. It's like there's a a curtain in front and people really don't know how the sausage is made on the other side and what you all do day to day. And I think hopefully after this conversation, people will have a greater appreciation for the folks who do the work. We're not saying that everybody on the board is perfect, that you all, you know, like there are issues that we have that we can work through, but we have to start from a place of understanding that you all are there to do the work and your, your interest is what's best for the students. And so we have to start from there. Otherwise, to me, the discussion is not going to be very productive. So I, I appreciate you both bringing your perspectives on um, to let us know, to give us some insight into what it's like day to day. You're extremely busy. And so I definitely appreciate the work you're doing. I'm glad to see that you both are doing some amazing work. And um, hopefully it continues for both, uh, you know, Shelby County, Hillsborough County. We'll be keeping watch, but I definitely appreciate, you know, both of your perspectives. This was awesome. Likewise, I echo everything that Devin said. I, I, I'm very thankful um, for what you both are doing. Um, one of the things that I saw that's happening around the country is that a lot of state legislatures are trying to make school boards partisan races where you have to say if you're a Democrat or Republican. And I think after this conversation, people should know that that's a bad decision. Um, because there's a lot of things that um, once you have party affiliations, it becomes more about the party platform and less about the students, which we have really uh, overstated for obvious reasons that that's what education is about. It's about the students. So um, we thank you both for being here. Um, listeners, remember that we were joined today by Nadia Combs, chair of the Hillsborough County School Board. And we also have Dr. Althea Green, vice chair of the Shelby County School Board. Um, great interview uh, to both of you. We really, really thank you for being here. And we just hope that we can do all of uh, all that we can do to elevate what y'all are trying to do. Um, but listeners, what we're going to do, uh, we're going to give you one more break. And when Dev and I come back, we just got to give you some insight into the future. So make sure you stick with us. We'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, become a monthly patron. Go to blackagendapod.com and click the donate tab or click donate under the timestamps as you're listening to the podcast. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to wrap the show up with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming here at the Black Agenda. So first up, you can look forward to hearing me and Adrian again this Saturday, April 9th, for our 12th edition of our weekly roundup series. And if you don't know, our weekly roundup is our chance to bring you all the news from the past week and give it to you in a nice, neat package that includes commentary from both me and Adrian. Some of it's funny, some of it's serious. Well, we make it interesting, so make sure you tune in this Saturday, April 9th, for weekly roundup number 12. Now, after that, you can hear us again. Our next regular episode, like what you heard today, uh, is going to be on April 12th. That is a Tuesday. And our next episode is going to be about, or asking a question, really, can Black culture hurt us? So we're going to dig into the aspects of Black culture, and whether that is working against us in the broader society. So make sure you tune in for that episode that's coming to you on Tuesday, April 12th. Um, And again, the episode is Can Black Culture Hurt Us? 
And we're not saying it is currently hurting us, but what we are asking the question is, are there things within our culture that are working against us in the broader society as we try to advance? So it's going to be a really great episode. So make sure you tune in on uh, April 12th for our next regular episode. And then, of course, next Saturday, April 9th, we'll be right back here for a weekly run of number 12. So you've listened to a great episode today. And of course, all of this is happening behind the scenes um, due to your support by listening to us. But we all, you can also help us out by donating to us. And we've got a new charity this month. So Age is going to let you know how you can help us and who else you can also help out. Yeah, Devin, uh, thanks for that setup there. But listeners, we always, you know, around this part of the show, talk about the vision of you know the black agenda and what Devin and myself want to really do, um, not only for us, but for the community as a whole. Um, we, we're here like Dr. Green and like Nadia to serve. Um, that's that's kind of why we start the Black Agenda podcast. That's why we want to continue it. Uh, on a larger scale. It's all about service to the people, service to the public, service to the community for a larger purpose. So if you believe in that, if you want to see us succeed in that larger purpose, all you need to do is go to our website or while you're listening, scroll down in the timestamps. There's a donate button on our website. There's a donate button under the timestamps. When you go on to either of those, you're going to get to our patron page where you'll be able to give on a monthly basis and you'll get stuff on a monthly basis. So Devin and I give you stuff as you give us stuff. So like I said, go to blackagendapod.com or scroll down in the timestamps and click on that donate tab. We introduced this organization last week for the first time. So this is uh, take two on Operation Hope. Their focus is financial dignity and inclusion. Remember, April is Financial Literacy Awareness Month. So we're we're, um, supporting a financial literacy organization. Operation Hope works to equip young people and adults with financial tools and education to secure a better future, coaching them through personal aspirations and life's challenges while facilitating their journey to financial independence. They say that they have worked on moving America from civil rights to silver rights. Um, So great, great mission there. Good organization. Like I said, Operation Hope. Go check them out. Exactly. Check them out, but also check out blackagendapod.com forward slash news. And once you get there, you'll find many articles that have been written by some really talented Uh, interns that we have here at the Black Agenda. So make sure you visit blackagendapod.com forward slash news and read some of the articles that have been written by some really fantastic interns that we have here at the show. This is our first time doing this. This is new for season four. So make sure you check that out. Um, Also, you can find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is at blackagendapod. And again, that's at Black Agenda Pod. So you can keep up with us on social media, but also you can go to blackagendapod.com forward slash news to get more uh, news and information on what's happening in the world around us. Uh, so before we go, we want to give one last thanks to our guests. Uh, they were Miss Nadia Combs uh, from uh, Hillsborough County in, in Tampa, Florida, and Dr. Althea Green from Shelby County School District in Memphis, Tennessee. They were awesome. We had a fantastic conversation. So we wanted to give them one last thanks before we get out of here. And we want to thank you listeners for continuing to support us and staying with us here. We are halfway through the season. It's been a fantastic season so far. 
and there's a lot more to look forward to. So make sure you stick with us, not just today, next Saturday and Tuesday, but for the rest of this season and the year, we've got some pretty big things in store. So until then, uh, our next episode is going to be coming to you on Saturday, April 9th. So until then, we'll catch you next time. Thank you.